welcome to the Creative South podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with artist and designer John Contino. John and I chat about playing in bands as a kid and designing the cover art for the tapes they made, the importance of understanding typography before diving into hand lettering, the process of working with Hollywood studios on key art for movies, using client boundaries to push your work further in new directions, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at 149 Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please, help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash South. John, thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. Why don't Why don't we dive in from the beginning and tell me where'd you grow up? I grew up in Long Island. Okay. Um, uh, part of the South Shore of Long Island, close to uh, the beach mm-hmm. and close to Manhattan. Um, so I had the best of both worlds. Awesome. So that was always nice. You know, I could hop in the car, or hop on a bike, and go down to the beach, or I could hop on the train and head over into the city. So it was. Uh, it's funny, it's like one of those places where everyone's just like, oh, it's so boring here. But, <laughs> you know, looking back as an adult, I'm just like, oh my God, I had everything. <laughs> I, but I think all kids kind of look at wherever they grew up as, oh, it's so boring here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, too, because it's like, you know, now as as an older person, you know, with a family and all that type of stuff, I, I and, and, you know, working and stuff, I go to all these different cities for all different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it's it's so funny. It's such a culture shock to to leave, you know, Manhattan sure. and see other places that are cities and just go like, where's the city? You know, <laughs> and like, but as a kid, that wasn't, you know, it's it's not intimidating because it's what you grow up with. And, you you know, you're used to kind of like getting lost on weird streets and stuff and uh-huh. getting into trouble with friends and all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, you know, looking at, you know, other places around the country. Just like, oh my god! Like, how did how did we make it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I grew up in the suburbs. Uh, everywhere I lived, I was thirty miles outside of the city. So yeah, yep, yep. You know, like because I lived near Minneapolis. I I you know lived near Chicago. I lived near Orlando. All yeah. that stuff. I was pretty much thirty miles outside of the city. So I never had that being really close to the city experience. So 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the funny thing is, so like Long Island isn't. It's it's not it's not super close to like Manhattan, sure. but we're we're right on the border of Queens uh-huh. and 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 Brooklyn and all sorts of stuff like that. So like the like the like the proper city like expands so far out, yeah. You know that like everyone, you know everyone that lived where I lived like well worked in the city anyway. So like it was just like even though it was kind of suburbs, it was still I think the town I grew up in, uh, like the town that town of Hempstead. Mm-hmm. I was reading on Wikipedia is like. If it was a city, it would be the 14th largest city in the United States. <laughs> it's like 700,000 people or something like that. Yeah, so it's, it's not exactly like it's small town. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you were growing up, what were you into? Were you a sports kid? Were you a arty kid, nerdy kid? Uh, all of the above. It's so funny because like, so like my, my, mom was, my mom was a great artist. My, my grandmother was a great artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother was a real piece of work. She was so funny. She was such like a ball breaker, you know, she was hilarious. My grandfather, however, was an engineer. Um, and he used to work for uh, um, like AT&T. And before that, it was like, you know, like Bell Labs and stuff. And he used to work and uh, develop. He, he actually worked to develop uh, the Unix system back oh, geez. in the 60s. Yeah. So he so was a real he, slouch. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it was just funny, like, and then you know, my my dad, my dad is a carpenter, um, uh-huh. so I had like a lot of creativity and a lot of different like uh, uh, perspectives of it. So sure. I had like the super arty, like you know, interesting, creative, all the way to the high tech, you know, uh, engineering side of it. And my mm-hmm. dad kind of fell right in between with kind of like carpentry. Yeah, the blue collar aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. So so we. Um, you know, I would have a little bit of everything. It would just depend on who's in the house that day. Gotcha. You know, if my grandmother was there, my grandmother would take me to like an art store and she would pick me up like cartooning books, like how to draw cartoons and how to draw comics. Mm-hmm. And we would just sit there and paint and draw all day. Uh, my mom, my, my grandmother taught me calligraphy when I was like eight, what? you know. So you got an early start. <laughs> oh, super early, super early. And then like my grandfather would come over and we would, you know, like he would bring over like this electrical stuff and we would build circuits mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like I would learn how to, you know, make things like that. And then when my dad was around, like we, he would always be building something or, and I eventually started working with him too. So I would, I got into kind of like the car- carpentry contracting thing also when I was younger. So it was kind of like, it was a lot of everything. I was always making something. Gotcha. When, you know, when you got to high school and all, did you start taking a lot of art classes or, what what were you what were you studying what were you trying to focus on when you got to high school well it was like so so the majority of my like i started off very into arts and making things and stuff like that and once i kind of got into like elementary school it was all sports uh-huh. baseball basketball football like whatever i could get my hands on even street hockey sometimes sure like i couldn't tell you the first thing about hockey but like i was playing street hockey when i was a kid too like whatever we could get our hands on we were doing you know um and then, and then, kind of towards middle school, I hit like some awkward teen years, and as everyone you know, does, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> started dealing with like life anxieties and things like that. <laughs> and I started uh, veering away a little bit from sports and started getting more into music. Mm-hmm. I started playing the drums. We start, you know, a couple of friends and I started some bands. So I started playing in bands. Like my first band, I was like maybe ten or eleven years old. Oh wow. And we started playing super early. And then it was just like, all right, we recorded stuff. You know, a little boombox type of recording. Yeah. Total garbage. <laughs> you know, like old school, like 80s, 90s type of thing. And uh, and then I started designing covers for all the tapes that we would make. Okay. So that was like kind of like my first, in, like, 
like instance and like kind of graphic design. Gotcha. And then kind of as that started to roll, I started to get more serious into music and I started playing in more serious bands as I kind of got a little bit further. Seventh grade, eighth grade, we started to get better. We mm-hmm. started to learn more. I started to design more. And then by the time ninth grade or so, I think it was, like ninth grade-ish, um, I kind of had a pretty good understanding of how to make things on the computer. I had like this old gateway computer, you know, 1996 or something like that. Uh-huh. And I started like legitimately making demo covers for my bands and other bands. And it was also kind of like the dot-com boom thing started coming around. And I started teaching myself web design. Oh, wow. And then I started, I started like uh, actually doing web design for like local businesses and stuff. So this is back in the nesting tables days oh, and yes. all that. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, the, my, biggest claim to fr- my biggest claim to fame was that I knew how to make an iframe. Oh, nice. You know, and I had like that stationary left <laughs> navigation and everything, you know, it was like uh-huh. moving over to the, it was, I was very excited about the fact that I could do that and I sold it to people, you know, so it was, um, I kind of got that design uh, uh, salesman thing early on. And then, you know, through all of high school, that's what I did. I, I designed stuff for people and I played in hardcore bands and uh-huh. the, the older and older I got, I started booking shows, I started uh, um learning like the business aspect of kind of like how to call people, how to, how to schedule things. And it was just, I was like, I was like all in by the time I was in high school, like just business design music. That was, that was my life. Gotcha. When you, when you got out of high school, did you go to college or did you just kind of keep pursuing the music and freelance and all that stuff on your own? Well, like, so when I was, when I was in high school too, I didn't realize that graphic design was even a position. Sure, like, that wasn't sure. like a thing, you know. Um, I always was like, I want to do something with art when I was a, when when I'm a, a grown up, you know. Mm-hmm. What the hell do you do with art? Like people say, like if you're not a famous artist, you can't live as an artist. <laughs> you know, if you're not selling paintings for ten million dollars, what are you going to do, right? This is true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, so you know, like in high school, I took like some architecture classes. Mm-hmm. I took some stuff like that. I was like, I just want to draw for a living. That's all I wanted to do. And when I started looking at colleges, I started looking for architecture uh, programs. Mm-hmm. But I also like wasn't really into going to college. Sure. At the same, you know, like I didn't really want to go, so I didn't even know that there was like I knew that there was Cooper Union. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was like Pratt and Parsons and. SVA and FIT, but I was like, ah, that's not my scene. You know, like I don't fit into those places. Sure. Um, and I went to a, a local school that was kind of like, um, you know, like right on the border of Long Island and Queens. Mm-hmm. And I brought a portfolio there and they were just like, they were like very complimentary. They were like, wow, this is really good. I mean, I had been essentially professionally graphic designing for like four or five years at that point. Sure. You know, so um they were very complimentary. They're like, oh, this is great. They were like, did you apply to this school? Did you apply to this school? I was like, I never heard of that school. Like, <laughs> it was the first time they were just like, oh, you should go look at RISD. And I was like, what? I don't know what RISD is. And I had to go home and like research what RISD was. Uh-huh. And, and then I saw it. I was like, I can't go there. Like everyone there is amazing. Like I don't, I don't fit into <laughs> places like that. Not know? to mention you can't so afford ended- to go there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's the other thing. <laughs> so I was just like, I was like, this is like, I... Like, I, I, I had a lot of self-doubt. Like, I was doing all this stuff, but I was just like, I don't belong in an art school. Like, I'm, like I was not a good painter. I was mm-hmm. not a good illustrator. I was Like, I didn't know what I was good at. Like, I knew how to lay things out and compose things. Sure. But I wasn't good at actually making stuff, you know? <laughs> 
So, uh, like, I knew how things, I knew how space worked. Sure. But that was kind of the extent of it, you know? Like, I looking back, like, in the college days, too, the things that I was worst, like, my weakest point that I always thought, like, I'll never do this for a living was designing T-shirts and designing logos, which is <laughs> really funny because it's pretty much all I do now. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> But yeah, so like, so I ended up going to that local school, but I freelanced throughout the whole college experience and it was a small art department. Uh, I got very close with the teachers that were there and, and, um, they, you know, they, they kind of understood where I was at, you know, in terms of my level. So I would do a lot of freelance work in class Mm -hmm. instead of kind of like working on like how to use illustrator and what to do with Photoshop and learning, you know, basics and stuff like that. So, um, they, it was very cool to have that kind of like uh, mentoring type of relationship with a lot of those teachers as opposed to just kind of like do this, do your homework and that type of stuff. So by the time I was out, I, I mean, I've, I've, I had like eight years experience already. So I was like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. When, when you get out of college, do you keep freelancing full time or do you, you know, seek out a job and try to work from somebody and learn under them? The first thing I did was I tried to freelance because I, I saw some guys that were doing it that weren't too much older than me. Sure. And they had a they had the like a little studio. They were busy, you know, and they they to me <laughs> weren't very good. <laughs> so I was like, ah, there's I got still this. a lot of those people out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like when you're coming out of school, you're twenty two years old or whatever, you know, you're invincible. You're just like, ah, it's a piece of cake. Like, yeah. I was making pretty good money because I was going to school and I was freelancing. So mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is going to be easy. I'm going to be on easy street. Life is, life is a piece of cake until I tried to do it full time and then support myself <laughs> for a living, you know? So I would sit down there and I would have creative block and I would say, you know, maybe I should sit down and watch a movie just to clear. Sure, that'll mind, clear. You know? <laughs> sit down and watch a movie. Fine, whatever, you know? And then by this, you know, it's summer at this point. So mm-hmm. it's beautiful outside. Let me go out with my friends. I'll go down to the beach for a little bit, you know, like just kind of like, get back to zero and then I'll come back and I'll be ready to work. I would get back. I would still have nothing. So I'd be like, maybe I should watch another movie, you know? And then this was like a cycle for a couple of months where I just couldn't engage as like a full-time freelance designer. I just, I couldn't get it going. Like it was easy when I was kind of like hustling as a kid, like Mm -hmm. on the side, because it was just like whatever I had time for, I would do. Uh, But now it's just like, I have all the time in the world to do this. So I have to make something out of it. Yeah. And that was really hard. So I did that for a few months, and then I was like, you know what? I got to get a job. I, I can't do it. I need I need some income. I need a way to like, <laughs> pay the bills. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I got a job at this place. It was a it was like a marketing firm mm-hmm. uh, strictly for financial advisors. Oh, so yeah, some cutting edge beautiful. design was going on. <laughs> beautiful work. The best thing the best thing that came out of it was there was an architect that was friends with uh, one of the owners. And he was just like, can you design, you know, some stationery and a business card for this guy? And he was like total wacky, uh-huh. you know, architect type of guy. So that was pretty cool. But the rest of it was all like the same font, you know, navy blue, gold, sure. forest green. It was the same thing over and over again. Why didn't so you I, use Times New Roman? <laughs> exa- well, it was actually Trajan. Oh, okay. <laughs> they wow. were like slightly elevated from Times yes. New Roman. Um, I mean, they had to pay for something, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I lasted there a couple of months, and then I was out. And uh, a friend of mine was working at this print shop that also had a design studio in house. Mm-hmm. So I ended up working with them for about eight months. Okay. Um, 
and then and then I left from there and and started a studio and then my friends who got me in that shop left and he became partner in my studio mm-hmm. and this is like 2005 2006 and then that's the rest is history after that we I never I never worked for anyone ever again after that gotcha so, yeah. <coughs> excuse me so it was, so when you, you know, when you leave and go out on your own I know you've got you know the skills that you built up from freelancing in college and all but how do you start finding work yeah good question um, so, so the, the majority of my freelancing work in college was all music related. Okay. I would get, I would get more, you know, I would get some local businesses here and there, uh, but most of it was music related because I made all my connections in the hardcore scene and metal and punk and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it was easy for me to make connections then because I was playing in a band and I would always, we would have like new merch and new, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that. People would say, can you do that for me? And I would say, sure. And then little by little, word of mouth was a huge thing for me when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, some of my friends' bands ended up getting bigger and signing to better labels. So they would bring me along and I would do the artwork for the, for the music packaging. And then, you know, I would make friends with the label owners and then they would get me to do something else. And, you know, word of mouth like that, I was doing, a, I was doing pretty well in terms of music packaging. And that's kind of like where I envisioned my career going. Sure. I was dead set on being kind of like music industry designer. It was like the best of both worlds to me, you know? And um, and then the iPod came out. I was about and to say. that was the end of that. <laughs> then MP3 players came out and nobody yeah. bought music anymore. Exactly. And, that was, and that was it. And then all of a sudden I saw like, you know, as a kid being 20 years old, 21 years old, making $5,000 per job mm-hmm. to $500 mm-hmm. is a serious drop. You know, like I went from being like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to have this amazing studio or practice or firm or whatever, like music packaging guru, whatever. You know, I had these dreams. And then, you know, within a couple of years, that was that was the end. And I was like, all right, well, I got to figure something else out now. So so what do you end up doing so you can diversify and not, you know, not have all your eggs in one basket? Well, one. so so when I went, so then as I was doing that first freelance run, it was very hard because I knew I had to get out of the music industry and start doing other things, sure. even before it really crashed hard. Um, but but when I kind of realized I didn't have the business chops yet to, to just like drum up work, mm-hmm. um, that's when I went and I got, went to go get that other job. Um, and that second job that I had right after it, so I only worked under people for a year. Right, um, right. That second one, when I left, I was like, I'm ready now. I know how to handle this because um, – the guy who ran the second job, uh, who's now a good friend of mine, he um, he was like really like hard nosed business guy. Like there was no messing around when you were in that place. Mm-hmm. Like it was a bunch of like we were a bunch of you know testosterone filled guys working there. <laughs> but we we would not we would not like pat each other on the back. We would just constantly be breaking each other's chops. Like it was brutal sure. in there. Um, so it was just like, what, you're not done with that yet. That's you call that good. You know, like that type of stuff, you know? And it was just like, we always, my friend Matt and I, who, who, um, started my studio with me, we always used to call it design boot camp mm-hmm. because it was just like, just churn out as much as you can. And if it's not good, you're a failure. Like it has to be good. It has to be fast and it has to be done within a day. And we just kind of like got in this mode where we had to learn how to self edit really quickly. And we had to learn how to just like make hard decisions fast without having a chance to kind of like sit there and, and, and just kind of like, you know, stare out and just be like, well, what would be great about this? Well, you know, we didn't have time for that. We were just like, 
we got to make these decisions fast. They got to happen now. They got to go to print. Mm -hmm. If we don't, we lose the job. We lose the money. Like there was no, there was no time for messing around with that stuff. So, so revisions um, weren't an option. Yeah, exactly. So when I left, um, luckily, you know, everyone there still maintained a good working relationship. So instead of, you know, instead of leaving and trying to figure out how to do this, I just kind of became a contractor for that company instead. So then I started, you know, picking up some other clients that way. And it kind of made things, we, we, we ended up kind of creating like a nice little network for a few years. Uh -huh. um, and then, and then I learned how to start pitching projects and kind of reaching out to other agencies and things like that so that I could start, you know, getting into other realms of work. And then, you know, then it became kind of like commonplace and it was just learning from there. Like, you know, okay, I met this person. This is how this works. I went into this agency. I, I paid attention to what they were doing and now I know how that works. Mm -hmm. And I was just like sponging off of everyone, you know, at all times. And it helped a lot. Gotcha. When, when, when you leave and start the studio with Matt, what, what are you calling the studio at that time? So when I was freelancing too, even when I was a kid, um, naming anything was always the worst part. Sure. I, I, I still hated, agree with that. It's the worst. It's, it will always be the worst. It's like, forget about what naming my kid. I was just like, <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> yeah. Like, like as long that. as you don't name them after like a fruit or some <laughs> weird, you know, refrigerator or something like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a pretty set list of names that you're safe with. You don't, you don't, you don't like that my daughter's name is Kenmore, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, it's, Kenmore doesn't bother me so much. It, it's, 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 General it's the fact that you gave her the middle name of Whirlpool. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so like name, naming the studio was, was tough and it was just like, it went through so many different iterations. So the, the first thing I did was I named it 126. Okay. So it was like O-N-E-2-6 because uh -huh. there was a lot of words and numbers back then. Sure. In the early 2000s, sure. you know. I saw somebody, um, I saw somebody recently is wanted to do a project where they were doing that again and I was just shaking my really? head. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are gone. They're never coming back. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, that was, uh. Uh, that's my birthday. Okay. I was born on January 26th. So I was like, this is temporary. This is not permanent. Sure. Right. So then, uh, so then I, uh, you know, when we started the business, uh, even, and Matt came on as partner, we still couldn't think of a name. Mm -hmm. So we kept 126, except now we wrote it out as one word. O and E, T W E N T, blah, 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 blah. Then it was 126. Sure. Then a few years later, we started a clothing company mm -hmm. and we had a bunch of iterations in between that too, all these different names. And, uh, we ended up with CXXVI, um, which is Roman numerals for one. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so by the time CXXVI started getting rolling, like we had some, you know, like people started to know what that brand was. Mm -hmm. People knew what 126 was, and it was just all these names that were always supposed to be temporary forever. Um, Funny how that as, works out, as, isn't it? Yeah, and it's so stupid too because you hate it every second of the day, and you're just like, well, whatever. It's too late now, you know. So uh, by the time CXXVI started going, it started to become kind of like a beast of its own. And I was just like, I got to get back to like having a little bit more of an identity for myself. So I started thinking like, oh, what should I do? And then I was just like, you know what? I don't want to have to name myself anything. I'm just going to use my name. Mm -hmm. I already have a name, you know? So I named it John Contino. I was just John Contino Studio and that was it. And that's what I started working with. And that was like 2009. I was just like, I'm going to go for that. So I was running John Contino Studio and CXXVI at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, cut to maybe about two years ago, 
um, we made the decision to kind of like actively get away from people, you know, like it was just me by myself for so long. Sure. Um, but I started, you know, I started picking up account managers and freelancers that I work with and, you know, my photography guys, my web guys. And I was always doing so much more than, you know, lettering and stuff like that that people didn't necessarily see mm-hmm. because I, it was such a like such a thing I was known for. So I didn't promote it as much. Sure. And, you know, then I kind of saw like there was like a crash coming in that trend, just like there is with every trend. So I was like, I got to get away from this. So maybe about five years ago is when I really wanted to start changing. But there was still a lot of jobs coming in like that. And I was like, I can't totally go away from this now. Yeah, don't run away from the money that's coming in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So a couple of years ago, I was just like, you know what? It's time. I can't do this anymore. I need to go into like branding studio where I've always wanted to be, Mm -hmm. which is what I was doing before this stuff happened and where I want to be afterwards. So, you know, literally within like the past year, um, and it's so fun. Like this website has been in development for a year, just like the whole announcement and everything like that. So now where we're at now is just Contino and that's it. Sure. It's just straight up Contino and it's me and there's a few other people. My wife works with us now, uh-huh. you know, like there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're dealing with doing like interior stuff. We're doing all sorts of whatever, you know, um, when, when you say interior just, stuff, are you talking like environmental design? Yeah. And actual interior design oh, okay. too. Like, like actually like straight up, uh, you know, s- styling spaces. Okay. So we're, we're doing a lot of that now too. So it's just like, we have like a, a nice design studio. That's not just me, not just drawing letters, which is what I've always wanted people to know it to be. Yeah. Um, and it took a little while to get there, but you know, it had to, I had to play that game, you know, until, you know, I was able to really announce that. And I haven't like officially announced it yet. Cause I want that website to go up. But, <laughs> I think you but, just oh did. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got but like you got about six weeks before yeah. uh, that website's <laughs> got to be done. <laughs> the, the, like the naming process is is probably what held it up the most. Sure. Because I was just like, should I, ch-? you know, because like there's a lot of people that we work together now, and it's just it's not just me. And then I was like, well, there's Leo Burnett and there's Calvin Klein. Yeah. And, you know, like you Ralph can still, Lauren. You can still get yeah. away. Yeah, exactly. You could get away with that. And then I was just like, I don't know. But then because the, then there's still people. There's like a lot of semantics that goes into it. So it's like, just Contino, that's it, you know? And then when my daughter's old enough, she can take over the business and I can retire. There you go. That or or you have to change her name from Ken Moore to John. Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) That won't cause issues in therapy. No, 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 not at all, not at all. (laughs) So that's where we're at right now. You know, uh, the naming was a pain in the ass and it still is to this day, but, you know. Sure. Well, as as you're growing the studio and you start actually bringing people in to work for you, how do you start picking up on those soft skills that go with managing people? Well, I mean, luckily for me, you know, with CXXVI, we did a lot of managing then too. Sure. Because it was just the two of us for a while. But after, you know, after some time, we couldn't run a menswear company completely on our own. Right. So we did a lot of managing there. Um, when I worked um, uh, at at some of those other places for that brief amount of time, I ended up kind of getting in a managerial role pretty quickly mm-hmm. just because I, I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, there there were some people there that maybe were not as experienced as me, even though they maybe were a little bit older, but I could always help guide them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got involved with kind of like teaching and lecturing for a while. And that kind of helped a lot too in terms of like how to manage people's expectations and how to, you know, speak to certain people about things and, you know, um, 
focus on the strengths and and you know helping the weaknesses and things like that. So so now it's um, it's it's really nice because I get to work with the people that I really admire and uh, and respect for what they're able to do. And there's not really that much managing to even do at this point because sure. luckily for me, I get to pick and choose the people that I work with. Uh-huh. And I, I, I pick them because they're awesome at what they do. And I don't really have to do much except say like, you know, we have to veer a little bit closer to the vision for this or that. Like, like I don't really have to do much else because they're bringing so much to the table, which is great. Sure. And, you know, as you're growing things and and you mentioned, you know, you kind of veered into teaching stuff for a little while. You've got you know, currently you've got workshops that are going on. Plus you did the Skillshare stuff. How did the, we'll get into the workshops in a second, but how did the Skillshare stuff come about? Skillshare, I always thought was kind of a cool thing. And and being in New York, I remember when it came out, it wasn't an online thing only. It was just kind of like set up a class and meet somewhere and you could teach a class. And I was, I was like, that's a novel idea. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like um, too much work to organize <laughs> and like get a bunch of people in a room, you know? And then they started doing the online thing. And then uh, this guy, Elliot Curtis, who worked for them, reached out to me. He's like, we really want you to do a class. We're trying to like amp up the design side of things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and it took him like a year to convince me to do it. And because one thing I never wanted to do was straight up teach lettering because I had been ripped off so much. I didn't want to teach people how to rip me off. Sure. You know, it was bad enough that people were doing it anyway, but I didn't want to start teaching people how to do it. So I had to really dance around how to teach a class on Skillshare so that I wasn't just creating a, a an army of robots to just like do what I do. Sure. Um, I mean, you could, and then just start hiring them all, but <laughs> I could, but then you, I mean, you would see a significant drop in quality. I think probably, probably. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so, so from there, he kind of convinced me, he was like, Oh, it'd be great if you did this. Um, and I said, okay, if you help me figure out a way to, design this class so that we're not just straight up saying like this is the letter <laughs> this is the john contino way <laughs> yeah so so we figured out this way it was just like okay let's use it in context let's make it like a real course so it's like wh- why is lettering important why is composition important how do we do these things so we did a couple classes like that and uh it was painful both times because i i was always kind of like on the edge of my seat and like i don't want to give away how i work mm-hmm. you know it's it's just the last thing i wanted to do um, and then eventually I kind of end up where I'm at now with the Contino workshop where I actually am teaching lettering, but it's, it's more on my terms because it's a much more robust class than Skillshare allows. Sure. So, I mean, there's like 50 videos, like hours and hours and hours. It's straight up like it starts from cave paintings and goes all the way to today. Oh, so you're you know? getting some so, art history in there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think, and, and what I try to teach in the class is is less of how to work like me, but how to understand how to work like yourself, mm-hmm. which I think is important to people who want to do stuff like this. It's, you know, like discovering the, you know, the style that you already have and 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 flourishing with it once you discover it. And that's kind of what the class is about now. And and that's what I really couldn't figure out how to do with the Skillshare classes. Gotcha. When, so with, with the Contino workshops, you know, since it's so many videos and such a kind of broad timeline of when you go from the beginning to teaching the skills, how are you organizing and balancing all of that to convey that information? 
it's it's kind of it's very linear. Okay. You know, um, it's and it's kind of the way that I learned, and I had some good teachers along the way, and I did a lot of my own research along the way, and it was kind of like, it, it was just like, okay, here's a brief introduction. You know, where did the style of of like alphabets come from? You know, you got to go back to written language and Romans and uh, Chinese and and you know like. Like all these different styles that had, you know, like they used to, this was engraved and this was brush and then this was, you know, <laughs> this was made with clay and whatever. Like we get into all those types of things about how certain styles are maybe more organic, mm-hmm. some are, are more engineered and architectural. And uh, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot to what those styles offer um, that can influence you as you as you kind of develop your own style. So we kind of start there and then it's just getting into the basics, like what's, you know, a baseline and X height and all those things that you need to know about typography. Because I think the most important thing is to understand typography sure. before you start getting into lettering. Yeah. Cause you see a lot of people like trying to like do lettering, like they, like they see on Instagram and stuff like that, <laughs> but they don't know what the hell they're doing because they don't understand how letters are supposed to look to begin with. Like you can't break the rules if you don't know them. I know the rules and I you still know? can't do it. So, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I I think the stuff is beautiful, but it's not like it's not my wheelhouse. It's not my passion. I'm okay subbing that out to somebody who's much better at it. And I think that's the smart move. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of people that don't recognize that. And I think that's what I wanted to really convey is that you need to understand the the basic rules of typography before you can go in there and start designing around them sure you know because you you can't you can't invent something if you don't understand the you know like the foundation of what it's based on mm-hmm. you know so that's kind of that's kind of where the whole class goes into and then it develops into kind of using these things and uh picking out some key styles uh-huh. you know like your slab serifs and your sand serifs and all those types of things and getting into those and then you know teaching more about those and, and making them you know basis to to expand and 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 you know, uh, we we do like lockups and then designing logos based on the styles that you worked with, and you know, learning how ligatures work and you know all that type of stuff. Uh-huh. But it, it all starts from the beginning, and then just it, it organically grows um, to the end. Gotcha. So as you're growing Contino and, and you know determining the path that you want to take, how do you ter- determine stylistically what you want to take on and what you want to turn down? Well, I think a lot of it goes into the fact that um, for so many years, uh, you know, people would know me for one thing and then always ask me to do that same thing over and over again. Sure. When we were doing CXXVI, the amount of people who would come to me looking for nautical design work <laughs> was out of control. <laughs> yeah. So for a while there, I had to stop saying, like, I don't do nautical anymore. Like, I have to stop because otherwise I'm never going to get anywhere, yeah. you know? Um, so that's kind of like what we do now. We, we're just, we're always looking for, like, just the most diverse projects that we can find, stuff that seems like we would never touch it in a million years mm-hmm. and then put our mark on it, you know? So there's just, a, there's a lot of that. Like, let's, what what is going to help us to advance this, you know, the narrative of what the studio is so that people understand that we're capable of doing all these things, you know? And there's a lot of stuff that we've done that we're technically not allowed to show for certain legal reasons or whatever. So we try to find things that are very, um, open and free to let us really experiment and kind of show off, uh, you know, what we're capable of Mm -hmm. so that, you know, eventually we can get into that world of basically designing anything and everything. Gotcha. When when you're doing that, does that involve going 
I don't want to say against your design instincts because there's a difference between that, but what your normal instincts would be for what your personal style is and what you personally like to do. No, not really, because I think I think what people know me for and what I actually am are two different things. Okay. Um, I feel very I feel very comfortable in kind of a creative director role. Okay. You know, I feel I feel very comfortable kind of like understanding how to make something cool that I can't make myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's always been my strongest suit. Um, but I had to learn how to make things myself at some point, sure. you know. Uh, but I think that's kind of where I always started, and that kind of goes back to where I where I was at the beginning, where I said, you know, I can't design logos or T-shirts or anything <laughs> like that, but I knew how to I knew how to make things look right, you know. I, and I think that's I think that's where my strongest suit is. I felt I always feel very comfortable in a strategic role or in a director role, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and that kind of allows me to easily kind of branch out and do these things. Like we can do Art Deco stuff, we can do super modern, we can do. I mean, clearly we could do like vintage style, but like all these types of things I feel very comfortable with because I'm, I'm just a general appreciator mm-hmm. of art and architecture and, and all the styles that have existed. Like I could look at, you know, 1200s uh, architecture versus 2016 web design and have a total appreciation for both of them. And I feel totally comfortable critiquing or commenting or saying how I would like to use that in in a project or something like that. So um, I feel like I am a very artful, you know, type of person where that's just kind of been the nature of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, appreciating all those things from the people who I grew up with, from all these different you know spectrums of creating. So that type of thing. It, it the only thing that I kind of put into it is maybe. My personality, not sure. even my style, but like my personality. Like I want, I want, <clears throat> excuse me, I want people to look at the stuff that we do and feel emotion. I think that's my most desirable trait when we do work. It's like I want, I want someone to feel something when they're looking at it. Like it's not so much how it looks, but like what's the feeling you get from it? Like are we conveying, um, you know, this like human characteristic mm-hmm. that can so easily be lost in today's like high super high tech world you know so it's just i just want to make sure that like the art of humanity isn't lost in what we do gotcha when 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 you're doing stuff and i imagine with running the business you're doing less hands-on design now than you used to do um Mm -hmm. how are you going about critiquing that and building that so that it meets the direction that that you've envisioned and, and and matches up with the client's needs. I've gotten very good at um, putting together mood boards and references sure. and briefs for things. And um, that's, become, that's become like an art form in its own <laughs> for me in the past few years. <laughs> so now I, I, so now I feel pretty good and I, I feel very I – still, I still feel very creative in terms of doing that because I know it allows me the opportunity to spec out things that I normally wouldn't have been able to do because I wasn't able to do it by myself. Sure. But now, you know, after, after a while of doing, doing this kind of thing where it's just like, you know, here's the reference. Let's make this happen. Let's make that happen. 
I have the people that can do that now. I don't have to worry about, like, I have to learn After Effects now, you know? <laughs> so what you're saying is John Contino isn't necessarily the best designer at... <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I never have been. I never will be. I think that's... It's so funny, too, because, like... Like the actual work, like I look at my stuff, like I'm not a, I'm not a great illustrator. I'm not a great typographer. I'm not a great any of these things. Sure. But somehow I think it's just the fact that I feel confident in myself in the abilities that I do have that tricks people into thinking that I'm good at this. Well, I, I think <laughs> that know? comes to being a solid communicator that you, while you may not be the best at the execution of that, you're probably the yeah. best at the studio of communicating how that needs to come about right right and i think that's the important thing and i think that's why you see you know there, there's a, like, like i remember kind of like in the art school days or whatever the most talented people in the world have no idea how to promote themselves sure and they don't understand business and then you see people who are like total hacks that are extremely successful i know a lot of this and you're just like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're just like why is this person so successful they suck and it's just like well they don't suck at business and they don't suck at promotion and they don't suck at marketing. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge aspect of what we do. Um, so it was really important for me to really understand how to do those mm -hmm. things because I think if you can get good at that, then if you have even the slightest amount of talent, it makes that seem so much better than it might actually be because you know how to sell it and you know how to tell that story. And that's, I think, what makes it um, valuable to people. Yeah. Well, I, I had a professor in college that... We, I don't even remember when it was, but we were sitting around. I think we were doing a review or something, and it was close to the end of the semester. And he was talking about, you know, kind of look around the room. The people who are the A plus students, they'll do pretty well. B students, mm, you might do okay. C students, they're going to be your boss. Yeah, they're yep. going to be the ones who yep. they may not focus on the design as much, but they know how to get out there and communicate with people and sell their stuff. And, and, and I've, I mean, right. I've personally noticed that with people that I know it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I've got a friend who's, <laughs> he's a horrible designer <laughs> and, and I don't have the heart to tell him, but dear Lord, yeah, right. he gets so much work because he's, and that, he's yeah. good at selling this stuff and he's good at promoting himself. Right, and there's a, there's a lot of people out there that, and and you want it makes you wonder like, where will it leave them in the history books mm -hmm. in the future? You know, like if you look if you look at some of the best designers in in history, like, you know, you don't know where they're coming from exactly, sure. but you also don't know the difference, at least right now, of how social media and things like that will impact the designers of today yeah. versus how it was for them. Because like you think about some of the greatest designers in history and like a handful of names pop into your head and that's yeah. about it. Saul, Saul Bass didn't have just, Twitter or Instagram. Ex yeah, exactly. And, but now if you, if you ask any person to name their top 50 favorite designers, they're going to be like only 50. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it's just so easily accessible now. So you, you, you wonder like how much of, you know, like, the the bullshit of design mm -hmm. is going to have weight in the history of of the art form itself mm -hmm. you know because you know business doesn't necessarily translate to talent you know yeah like or or like someone that is going to leave a, an important lasting impact sure. on 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 the industry or 
you know, the art form itself. Sure. So I think we're in a very interesting place right now where it's just like, who really is important? Yeah. You know, you know, like who, who is really making differences right now that are going to affect how artists think, you know, 50 or 100 years from now? And who's really just making a lot of noise, you know? Um, and I always wonder, like, <laughs> I hope I'm on one side, not the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So kind of going back, because I, I, you know, in talking to you, I can see the space behind you and all. I, I want to know how... This, and this is a left turn. I want to know how the interior design came about because that is so outside of the normal wheelhouse <laughs> of what you would think of a studio like yours doing. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess where it originally started was kind of like having to do some environmental stuff okay. at the beginning. Um, and my wife is an interior. Designer, well, that'll help. So she yeah, stick. Yeah, yeah. She would stick her nose in there. Um, but then eventually, like, certain projects would call for it, like branding projects were like, we need to design the interior of this restaurant. Um, we did some stuff for uh, a couple of franchises, Australian franchises, a few years ago where it was just like, we need to spec out furniture. Mm -hmm. We need to spec out lighting. We need to spec out all this stuff. And little by little, I, you know, I would say to my wife, Erin, I was just like, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Because she is fantastic at this. Um, in the beginning of last year, I was just like, you want to just work with us? <laughs> you just make my life easier and just work with us? So uh, so we've been just taking on more stuff. We've had projects that are just straight up interiors and nothing else. No no branding, no illustration, no graphic design, just straight up interiors. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. You know, it's awesome. And it's again, it's one of those things where I can sit there and I can kind of play creative director and let her do the majority of the work. But, you know, I know when something looks so just good like your marriage doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically everything is, everything is uh, you know, all the good things come from her anyway. So <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> but now, yeah, 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 but now it's just like even like even the studio too, like she designed the studio for the most mm -hmm. part. I have my, my pieces that I was just like, I need this, I need this. But then I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. You, you run with it. And, you know, it's. It's it's awesome to be able to have that and to offer that more. Like we did, a, um, we just did a nice big proposal for uh, a sports team. Mm -hmm. Like not allowed to say who, but um, it was great to be able to work together on that and and kind of spec out all the interior stuff for, you know, like the concourse or the vendor area and the food area and and picking out, you know, how the furniture fits in with the theme of the team and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, now I'm gonna go. It's now I'm to gonna have to, to go that. back and see which teams are rebranding stuff. <laughs> see if I can guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll call, I'll call up Adam Martin and get a list yeah, yeah, from yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. He's stuck, stuck in some insider information. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as, as uh, sorry to interrupt that. I, I had to I had to get the joke in, but you know when. <laughs> That was something I was curious about because, you know, your your clientele is extremely diverse as well. You know, you go from the entertainment industry to, I mean, I, I guess arguably sports teams could be considered the entertainment industry nowadays too. Right. But they're they're a different facet of that industry. Right. To doing corporate work to, you know, you know, I, and I've seen you do small stuff as well. You know, how. How do you decide what clients are the right fit for you personality-wise? So 
I think after all these years, when people come to me, I think they know what to expect. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that at some point in my life, I said, screw it. I've got nothing else to lose. I'm just going to be myself. And that's that's it. That's all I can be is myself. Mm -hmm. And I definitely noticed a significant um, impact in the way clients perceive me when I stopped trying to pretend I was something that I wasn't. So that was very helpful because when clients come to me now and they know what they're, you know, they know who they're getting, Mm -hmm. it right away will clarify if we're going to work together or if we're not going to work Mm -hmm. together. You know, like there are some people that come to me and they, they, they like don't get how I like to talk about things. Like I've, I've sat um, in meetings with like owners and CEOs of companies and I was just like, we have to do this because you're going to die one day and you're not going to be happy on your deathbed that you didn't do this, <laughs> you know? And, and I have a lot of clients that appreciate that type of thing because they, they'll laugh about it and they'll say, you know what, like, it's nice to think about things like that every once in a while as opposed to just like, I got the VP of marketing here, I got this person here, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, and we got to do our, you know, focus groups and whatever. And it's just like, it's, it, it, it's just like, this is emotional stuff. Let's capture the emotion. I think the people who come to me know that that's what they want oh yeah so i hate i hate focus look, group design oh yeah. it's the worst it's the I, I i there are some that we have to do sometimes and i'm just like we're not getting what we want out of this because it's not you know people know that they're in a focus sure. group they're going to answer how they think they're supposed to answer not how they actually yeah. feel you know and it's just like it's such a frustrating process but you know some companies have to do it because they you know there's sales involved and there's god knows how many you know, accountants talking about accounting stuff and all that, whatever. So um, it's very easy to, to to know when someone's coming to me and I'm just like, I, you know, I don't want any part sure, of this. Sure, sure. Um, there's, luckily, there's not a lot of those, though. I think when people are coming to me, they know what they're going to get and they're, they're expecting that. So, uh, you know, there's not many times that we're turning stuff down because people are coming with cool ideas, big or small. It doesn't matter. You know, if it's interesting, we're going to do it. And that's just kind of how it is. Gotcha. Well, so I got to ask about one project that I know you worked on. And and if you can't talk about this, we'll cut it out. Um, (laughs) Was the the Greatest Showman stuff. Oh, yeah. Because I know you guys worked on it. The Hood Sisters worked on it. Um, I'm Now I'm drawing a blank. There was somebody else that I knew that worked on it. Um, And then they ended up going a very... Felt like by committee version um, of what they okay. did. <clears throat> now, in in the movie industry, yeah. and I have a lot of experiences with with this now because I work with 20th Century Fox okay. a lot. Um, there's an art director over there, Neri Rivas. Um, he's amazing, awesome guy. He does all the good stuff that comes out of 20th Century Fox. Okay. He does. So everything that comes out of there that's, like, awesome, it's all because of him. Um, And he and I have become very friendly over the years. And, you know, we talk candidly about stuff. So, you know, I can answer it the the honest way or I can answer it the diplomatic way. And, unfortunately, I'm going to have to be a little bit diplomatic so no one gets in trouble. Yeah, that's probably a smart decision (laughs) (laughs) business-wise. Yeah. (laughs) But in in the movie industry, and this this isn't just for that um, studio. It goes for every studio, is there's a certain amount of hierarchy. And, you know, directors have a certain amount of say over things and producers have a certain amount of say over things. And the creative 
department will do what they can to get that across. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, there is higher ups that are just like, we think it should be Studio like Studio heads who so, just, yeah. Yeah. And you'll get a guy like Neri and he'll be like, this is what I want. And he'll propose all these really cool things. And sometimes they go for it. Like I worked with him on the Book of Life. And that was mm -hmm. amazing because you have, you know, um, Jorge Gutierrez and Guillermo del Toro at the front of that yeah. movie. And those guys uh, like are absolute, you know, art illustration fanatics. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> that's an understatement. It because... Yeah, like they understand it because they know it and they're better than everyone else that's going to work on the stuff mm -hmm. anyway. Like it's so funny, like working on that movie, I was just like, these guys are way better than me. Like <laughs> I'm just going to like bring this movie down. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, like they're an easy sell. You know, once you start getting into more of like the, the more, I don't want to say mainstream because it's not like a 20th Century Fox animated feature film isn't mainstream. Sure. But there's definitely more of a niche to that than like, you know, a movie that has like mega stars, you know, highlighting the cast yeah, yeah. and, you know, it's like this whole type of thing. So when the, when the cast salary budget this. is the vast majority of the budget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, you know, like I, I, from my understanding, the movie did very well. So it's like, I don't know if a logo was going to make or break it. But I'm pretty sure Zac Efron you know, and Hugh Jackman sold that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was just one of those where it's just like we tried, but, um, you know, marketing and stuff sometimes get in the way. And, you know, there are always, there are always reasons for stuff. But, you know, we, we gave it a shot. And uh, sometimes we can sneak things in there like, um, you know, like uh, theater posters, like promo posters uh -huh. or billboards. Sometimes we have some room to kind of work with that. Other times the directors are totally lenient. Other times they're just like, this is what I want. This is how I love yeah. it. And and it's just kind of like, well, it's their movie, so you can't really tell them otherwise. Yeah. And I totally get that. Like, even if it's a bad choice, if it's their movie, like, it's just like, that's their art. Like, I'm not going to tell them it's wrong. Well, the, you know, if they want their help, I'll give it that, to well, them. Well, that's what I was curious you know? about. Because when you come into that situation, you've already got a director and an art director. And you're right. working under them. So you're you're not the creative director at that point. Right. You know, right. So I, all I could do is all I can do is stick my big nose in there and be like, I think you guys should yeah. do this. And they'll be like, that's nice, but do it like this. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they, they're going to have a singular vision that, and you know, as a director, that's what their job is. Kind of like where right. your job as a creative director is to have that vision. Exactly. Not everyone's going to agree with my choices yeah. either. So it's just like, like I understand, you know, some movies you get to, you know, like people like us get to go wild with it. Other movies, it's it's a little bit more tight. And it's, you know, you can't get mad at it either because how many movies come out a year too? You always have another yeah, chance. Yeah. Um, and a guy like Neri is great too because he tries to explore all those, all those avenues. And, you know, his job is really tough too because he'll take – he has to take all these different ideas, you know, coming from people who are creative, people who aren't creative, people who are super creative. And he's got to turn them into something. And sometimes – He's got to take it and run with it. Sometimes he's got to make the best out of something that maybe isn't going to work. Or sometimes he gets a bunch of really cool creative people to do a bunch of really cool mm -hmm. stuff. And he's just got like this vast, you know, empire of super awesome creative to do things with. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, that's um, one of those movies, too, what we started working on where we kind of knew um, what it was going to be going into it. But we were just like, let's give it a sure. shot and see if, if we can make a difference here. But, you know, if if they have their minds made up, that's okay too. And, you know, it's, it's fine. Cause at, you know, at the end of the day, there's what's next. Yeah. 
and then we do something yep. else, you know. So we like he and I worked on a bunch of Deadpool stuff together for the Deadpool oh, awesome. sequel. You know, so it's like there's not even any point in like getting upset about things like that because you still get to do really fun stuff and work with great people. Um, but you know, like like I said, they're they're artists too. So it's like I don't want to step in the way of someone else's vision if it's you know not something that I would want. Sure, I understand. So I, I'm I'm curious though when when you're presenting ideas. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the entertainment industry. But when you're presenting ideas, do you ever work on something and you you just get this idea that's completely out in left field? And, you, you know, you, you've convinced yourself that it's like, I love this. I'm going to put it in. But there's no way in hell they're going to pick it. And then you get surprised by that. That is my specialty. That's basically how I sell all my projects. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just... That, and that's something that I've started doing a lot more of in the past few years, too, where I've just like – actually, actually, it kind of stems from Nike. Okay. Um, Nike, Nike is one of those companies that will consistently surprise me with what they want mm-hmm. me to do. Um, I, did, I did this one project, the VCXC project, um, and – we worked on we worked on this project together, and you know it was like tortoise in the hare race type of mm-hmm. thing. It's like a treacherous, uh, you know, um, cross country terrain type of race, and uh, and the art director that I was working with, he was just like, make it more crazy. He's like, more crazy. He's like, you got it. He's like, I know you could do more crazy than this, and I'm just like sitting there. I'm just like, yeah, more crazy. And it's so funny to think that like, because you get so trained sometimes under corporate culture that you have to take your idea and water it down about. 75 sure. percent and then that's crazy sure. to them you know well, and that's why i asked when you he- <laughs> yeah 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 but when you hear someone like that tell you like get more crazy so then it's just like all right like, i'm getting nuts man i had like zombie turtles <laughs> zombie rabbits and like neons all over the place and it was really fun you know it ended up being great and that was kind of like a nice a nice experience that i always reference because i think it, it's it's great when a client asks you to really you know like you have the clients who are just like oh, i love what you do just just do whatever you think is good. And those are the ones that end up being the most flat. Yeah. You know, but then you have the clients who are just like, we need this, we need this. And the more direction the client can give, the better. Because if you have boundaries to play with, you can exploit those boundaries. And that's where interesting stuff starts coming about. You know, like if they say, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you kind of go into a pocket where they didn't really mention it. Or they go and you go into the don't do this, but teetering on yes, do this. And you're like kind of exploiting what they think is or or like what they couldn't comprehend sure. and then it makes them think about it too you know there's a lot of stuff like that where i tend to find i get the most out of my clients creatively and then i find that they get really excited about that stuff too because then they're like oh my god i never would have thought about this and those left field ideas are the ones that you know i think are the most memorable mm-hmm. ones um, because they are coming out of, they're coming out of nowhere. I mean, that's, that's what you want. I mean, that's the whole idea of hiring someone to do this, right? It's like, you don't want to get what you expect. You want to get something that you don't expect that you can embrace and love and feel unique with. Sure. You know? And, and that's, that's, I think that's, that's the best part about sure. it. Um, real quick, cause we're kind of getting close to our time here. Um, sure. you know, when you're, when you're working on things and you are constrained by those corporate boundaries and, say it's a client that you've worked with where you know that they're not going to go with pushing that bound. How do you, how do you rein yourself in and not make it feel watered down? 
I have uh, I have a formula I like to work with. I'm very I'm very mathematical okay. about this, and um, I like to tell the people I work with about this formula too because I find that it helps a lot. And it's one of these things that's kind of like a, you got to kind of play some brain games mm-hmm. with clients sometimes, you know, and you got to get a little manipulative uh, because I think that's how you can. And it's not that you're trying to get what you want, but you're trying to get something that you know that they will appreciate later that they're not seeing now because they're being conservative sure. about it. So I always like to do, I always like to say it like this, like say, say the client's current look is at a five or 10% creative <laughs> yeah. level, yeah. right? Uh, and you know, where you want it to be is a hundred. Um, obviously everybody wants it to be the best, exactly. the best. But you know that they're expecting, and this they're not, I mean, they're, this is kind of like from an overview. This is not like, uh, it is not like from their perspective, really. They're expecting a jump to about 20%, mm-hmm. maybe, right? So, so they're five or 10, and they think a big, ja- a big change for them is going to be 20. Meanwhile, you're thinking 100. So what I like to do is I like to take their ideas, digest them. I like to be a good listener. I like to have a good conversation with them. And I like to jump into the ring going like 85 to 95% of the Mm -hmm. way there, knowing that they're never going to go for it. But knowing that if you can get down to like 60% of where you're at, you're still 40% over where they ever thought they could be. So you're kind of like stretching their boundaries of, of like what they think is acceptable. And it's so funny too. Um, I was watching. I think it was like the DVD commentary for uh, Team America World oh, Police, where Trey Parker and Matt Stone said something similar. They had they had like that scene where there's like a puppet sex yeah. scene, and they were like they knew that the MPAA was never going to approve it, so they made it. They they made all these scenes like so outrageous, doing like really like overboard stuff that they knew. That was immediately going to get cut, but they were fighting mm-hmm. for it, knowing that it was going to get cut, so that the stuff that they wanted was still going to be mm-hmm. in there. Because they like going in there and they're saying like, "Well, you can't, you can't have X, Y, and Z, but we'll let you keep A, B, and C." But in their head, they're like, "All we wanted was A, B, and C to begin with." Yeah, you know. So like, if you give them the excess that you know is never going to fly anyway, it gives you that extra boundary to push them beyond the limits of what they ever thought was possible. And, and that's kind of like the way that I, I try to explain it, which makes the most sense in my head, but probably doesn't make sense to anybody else. But like if you're able to kind of stretch them, they'll come back a lot more loose and open to free ideas like that. And then by the time you break them in, then it's just a free-for-all. You get those clients who are so buttoned up sometimes, you blow their minds, and then they're just like saying all sorts of crazy stuff. You're like, oh, where did this guy come from? <laughs> you know, like, so, so it, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, it's a psychological thing, I think, more than anything else. But that's, I think that's what ends up making it really special and taps into the, the more human, emotional aspect of things mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think I heard Kevin Smith talk about something similar. He was, I don't remember, I think it was when he was making Zach and Miri make a porno. Mm-hmm. And, he put a bunch of stuff in there that he knew was going to get cut intentionally yeah. so that when he came back with what he really wanted, that it was just approved automatically because it was much tamer than before. It's a bargaining chip because then you go in and you act like, you're like, hey, I already gave up this and this for you. Like, let me keep yeah. this, you know? 
And then that's all you ever wanted to begin with. So you're still getting your full 100%. Gotcha. You know, even even though, like, they think that you're just, like, compromising. You're still getting everything sure. you want out of it. So it's, it's playing the and psychology. It is. And I think in the end, the client is happy that you do that. They don't realize it because, you know, that's part of the game that we have to play. But I, I, I think in the end, I mean, they, you know, you'll see success out of it because then it's like, oh, this is a really unique perspective for this company, you know? Do you ever, do you ever tell them that you did that afterwards? <laughs> some, it, depends it depends on obviously it depends, it depends on, the, on the client. It depends yeah. on the client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some clients are really sometimes sometimes I tell clients up front about mm -hmm. it too. Where I'm just gonna be like, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and stretch you out a little bit here. So we're gonna go really far and then we'll pull mm -hmm. back if we have to. I said, but we're gonna go as far as we can and then we'll see what you're comfortable with, and then we'll push you a little bit further and then see like if it makes a difference or not. So some clients can accept that and some are open to it. Others you kinda have to dance <laughs> around it and and you know you know, cry wolf a couple of times, sure. but, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's always, on well, the yeah, you need repeat client. business. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> cool. Well, wrapping up real quick, what, what exciting do you have on tap that you're allowed to talk about? Cause I know like half the stuff that you work on, you can't talk about. Yeah. There's so much, oh my God, it's so funny too. Like over the past few years, there's been so many things that I haven't been able to talk about where I'm just like, oh, it's killing me. Um, I'm working on a really cool one right now that I'm not allowed to talk about, but uh, I do have a book coming out this fall, which should be really fun. It's called Brand by Hand. It's coming out um, from Abrams oh, awesome. Books. Um, yeah, and it's going to be kind of, the idea originally was going to be kind of like a career retrospective up until this point, um, but we only had so many pages, so I had to cut <laughs> it down. So it spans about... Well, you didn't take the Draplin now. methodology and build a textbook? <laughs> you know, he, that's the same publisher, too. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, 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 and we, you know, we were, we were, we were talking about that too, and uh, there was just there was just too much stuff. I couldn't squeeze it in there, and and uh, I I really wanted to. I didn't want it to be a bunch of small images either. Like I wanted to have like some nice big imagery and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? Let's cut it down. I I, I think it goes back to maybe the furthest is maybe like two thousand and two. Oh wow! So it does go back a little bit, but it's not all the way super back. And then there's just a huge collection of stuff, um, you know, from the past decade or so. And there's also, um, it's broken up into chapters too. So instead of it just being like everything I've ever done, the chapters are, are spaced out in, in terms of inspiration. Mm -hmm. So I have a chapter about baseball and, and horror and, uh, you know, fear and New York and family. Like I talk a little bit about each one of those things and how they inspire you know, a lot of the work that I've done. And then for each, for each essay at the beginning of the chapter, there's a bunch of work that represents where that, you know, what I talked about, how it, how it kind of like ties in. So, um, it's kind of like journalistic almost where it's just, you know, it, it's, there's kind of like this editorial aspect to it about like how I feel about this, you know, what it was like growing up in New York, what it was like growing up playing in the hardcore sure. scene and how that influenced me, what it was like growing up, you know, Italian, <laughs> you know, in New York and like how that, you know, growing up with creative people, um, you know, dealing with anxiety, working, uh, you know, you know, pulling all nighters like almost every night, like what, what kind of stuff came from mm -hmm. that, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so it, it definitely has more of kind of like a storyteller perspective, uh, but there's a lot of stuff crammed in there. So I'm excited about that. I think that's coming out in October. Uh, awesome. We'll, we'll have to get you so, back on with, yeah. right before the book comes out so you can uh, promote like the hell out of it and we can talk talk more yeah, about it. I'm going to have to start doing a book tour. Right there now. you go. <laughs> Take the family. Show the kid the country. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> it's good education. Yes, definitely. I'll get her signed. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> How old is she? <laughs> she right, can't, she's oh, five. so she'll sign she a real good. Contino. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking. You know, the other day, uh, as we come to a close of finally launching this website, um, I've been having a hell of a time trying to decide on which logo to use for the website. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have my daughter draw draw the logo and just put that up there. <laughs> Like, I was this close to, to going with that. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. <laughs> I know. I know. I still there might. We'll see. <laughs> have, have that be the 404 page. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I like that idea. That's nice. I'm going to do there that. There you go. Done. You see? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll credit you. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Real quickly, where can people find you online? Uh, just... Uh, uh, if you do at John Contino on with no page, H, you can no find H. me there. No H, J O N. That's my name. It's J O N. It's the most efficient, and simple way to write that name. Um, it's not short for anything. It's just that's just it. It's just how you it went. Is. How your parents went with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like they're like quick and easy. Yeah. That's it. And that's how I live my life, man. I'm a very minimal, low key type <laughs> of guy. And my, my name is a perfect suggestion for that. <laughs> perfect. John, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk with me this morning. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Not I a problem. Go it. ahead and hug some necks. I will. I will do that. <laughs> You can find out more about John on Twitter at John Contino. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.